Good morning. Greetings to each this morning. How about if we stand for prayer? Thank you, our Father in heaven. Thank you for being God. All-knowing God, righteous God, perfect God. Thank you that you are bigger than our, our own rationalization. You're sovereign, control of all the events of this universe. And we can trust you. We can have faith in you. We can commit things into your hands that we don't understand. Thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that we have the privilege to be gathered in this way this morning. We have your word before us. That is our anchor, is our foundation, guides us, keeps us on track through this maze of humanity, through our short span of life. Pray, Lord, that your spirit would Just speak to us this morning. I pray that you would guide um, our thoughts, both mine as I uh, share from your word and each who receives. I pray that your spirit would take those thoughts in the directions that can can be profitable. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. morning, I'd like to start with a verse in Romans 1. Just put a little question in our minds. Romans 1. Verse 20 and 21. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhood, Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. I don't know about you, but I have numerous times when I've read this passage, felt like there's a little phrase there that just feels out of place. Neither were thankful. Anyone else ever feel that way? Neither were thankful. Talking about the heathen. It's talking about those who deny God. Whether with knowledge or little knowledge, it seems there's in a context where maybe they had very little knowledge. Um, but those who deny God, deny God's power, and they're wicked, uh, get to the point on down through here, it gets worse and worse. We talk about just depravity. 
in this passage. Uh, neither were thankful. Well, what a little innocent thing to throw in the middle there. <clears throat> I would hope that as we look at God's word a bit more here today, we can put that in better context, maybe have more meaning as to why that's there. <clears throat> I'm going to give uh, a title for what we're going to look at here this morning. Giving thanks your handle. Giving thanks your handle. <clears throat> and... Um, I'd like to focus a little bit on the handle, but we're not going to uh, be able to do it justice here. We're going to need to go a little bit broad and to make all these broad connections. I hope it doesn't get too deep, uh, but I'd like to just put thankfulness in, a, in maybe um, a place uh, where we understand its prominence a bit more. In our lives, I'm going to write a few things here. I'm going to write worship towards the top here. And um, Thanksgiving. They are very related. I'm going to try to make a, a bit of a circle, a bit of a cycle here. Gratefulness, we're going to put down here. Another related word or topic. <clears throat> Over here we want to put uh, faith. And goodness. <clears throat> Faith for goodness, for gratefulness, which takes us to Thanksgiving and the ultimate worship. I'm going to put God in the middle of this cycle. I believe the ultimate here is worship. Giving thanks, your handle. For a subtitle, perhaps which we'll need to spend more time on, is this statement that God is good. Anyone ever seen this little book? How can anyone say God is good? If you're like me, you saw it and passed over it for a while because it looks too small and innocent to really be worth your reading. <clears throat> but eventually I sat down and read it here recently. <clears throat> By Gary Miller, how can anyone say God is good? Actually, an evangelistic tool, and maybe we'll understand a little bit why understanding God's goodness is important in evangelism. 
Giving thanks your handle. God is good. For a text, I'd like to look at three places in Scripture, instead of one chapter or necessarily even a, a verse, I'd like to look at three locations in Scripture. First in Genesis, then in Matthew, then in Ephesians. And we're going to make a little bit of a connection between these places. Without understanding a little bit the importance and the connection between these things, probably won't make the connection between these these passages we're going to look at. Um, But if we are going to be believers who, first of all, can become believers, can come to faith in Christ, and we can grow, and we can prosper, and we can weather every storm, and we can give thanks in every situation. We're going to have to understand, I think, the interplay of some of these things. And I don't feel like I have um, uh, studied this thoroughly to the point where uh, this is exhaustive or anything. I'm sure there's other things you could put in here. Maybe even more important things you could, you could include in this. Um, <clears throat> but this is just a representation of some things to think about. Uh, We must have a deep, deep faith. Unshakable faith in the goodness of God. If you are going to have gratefulness come from your life, you must identify the goodness of God. If you're going to have that gratefulness come up in your heart, if you're going to be able to give thanks, not just say the words, but to give thanks from the heart, expressing appreciation, gratitude to God, it comes from a heart. So this gratefulness talks more about an attitude, something that's filling your heart. This is the action. And then this is the ultimate. Um, I'm not sure we think about worship so much as an action. Worship can fill all of life. It can fill um, the workplace. It can fill the prayer closet. It can fill the song service. Worship is a really deep and broad topic, but it's focusing on uh, on God and what we are ascribing to God. <clears throat> and I really think you're, you're getting a, a, a holistic picture here of what the Christian experience is all about, if you think about these things. <clears throat> Giving thanks your handle. The first chapter of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. First of the five books of Moses, the book of beginnings. Genesis means beginnings. In Swahili, we just have the word um, start. That's the, what we call the book of Genesis, Mwanzo. <clears throat> the beginnings, book of beginnings. And... Um, as I was pondering these things over recent weeks, I thought, okay, you know, God in creation, this word good came up there. Let's go look. I wonder if it came up seven times. 
And sure enough, we find, just like there are seven days of creation, there are seven statements of good in this first chapter of the Bible. Let's look at them very quickly. Verse 4, And God saw the light that it was... Everyone say it. Good. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was... In verse 12, the earth brought forth grass and herb, yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was, verse 18, and to rule, <clears throat> this is the, um, the lights, the lesser lights, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was, verse 21, God created whales, every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And verse 25, And God made the beast of the earth from his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was And now, on the same day, and yet... On a whole different level, he creates in verse 31. He looks back over it all, but significantly, after he has created his highest creation, mankind, verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The only time he says very good. Seven times. God's perfect number, God's number perfection in this foundational chapter and event of the cosmos. Interesting, here it is God to creation, we could say. Here God is speaking about his creation. It is the product of His hand, he obviously the source of this goodness, so he, in essence, is speaking about himself. Couldn't we say? God is good. He declared it to be so in the seven, you could say, varied, manifold displays Of his creativity. He's speaking of his own goodness. I was thinking of that first one. When Brother Eldon talked about light. Here this morning. But we don't see it. But it's only. Our our even ability to see is based on its existence. Couldn't see without it. God created light. I think maybe we'll come back and talk about light a little bit later. And. um, what makes sometimes light more significant and more good to our seeming, to our awareness than other times. God is good. Do you believe that God is good? I see some nodding heads. If I'd answer that question, I would have to say, without believing that I could not be a 
a Christian. But I also have to say, as I pondered these things, that there's a lot of places in my life and times where I do not believe that God is good. Let's be honest. There are times I fail the goodness of God. You ever heard that term in the Bible? Failed the goodness of God. There's times that I fail to accept or to live out or to perpetuate, to live within the realm of even believing in the goodness of God in this situation and what's going on right now in my life. Thanksgiving, the handle, your handle. I thought of um, a lot of different titles and uh, thinking about how that God relates to all of these five words we have written up here. Worship, thanksgiving, gratefulness, goodness, faith. God, uh, all of these are dependent on God. And in some sense, I think it's, we could say that God is dependent on all of these things. Now, God depends on nothing. God exists within himself. And yet, uh, we, to, to display himself, to reveal himself to us, uh, he uses these things. <clears throat> so we could put um, little arrows going both directions as a spokes and a wheel going to all of these. Um, <clears throat> but maybe... We can think of it particularly that, um, yes, God fills all of this. It's all about God. I thought of, of the word Godfulness. Now, I don't think that's a word, but God filling all of this. <clears throat> God filling goodness, goodness filling God, God filling our lives through our experience and acceptance of God's goodness. <clears throat> Godfulness, that could be a word, but... <clears throat> I was just giving it the word thanksgiving, but we're going to talk a lot about the goodness of God here this morning, and um, I didn't necessarily just want to take our minds to November. thought about calling it foundation of thanksgiving, because I think this is a foundational issue, but I view it a bit more as a cycle, as an interactive cycle, where God gives us the seed of faith. To believe in his goodness, that gratefulness comes, even a response of repentance. That those first steps and continual steps, I believe repentance is just as much, just as vital for our ongoing Christian life as it is to begin us on the Christian life. Um, But those things, that repentance is rooted in the goodness of God in accepting God's plan of salvation. Um, have you ever experienced it in your prayer closet where God is working in deeply in your heart to maybe surrender something, maybe even to confess, uh, really bring out and admit and deal with something in your life, confess it, surrender something in your life, and you're wrestling with this thing, and finally you come through and you make the right choice and you <clears throat> uh, take that step. What happens in your heart? I believe quite predictably. There's praise. There's worship. There's joy. 
Again, this cycle. Gratefulness wells up. You voice it in thanksgiving, and it ultimately is pure worship to God. Giving thanks, your handle. That is the most practical thing that we see here. So here, in the Old Testament, we see this foundation of goodness. God showing his goodness in his creation. In fact, God says it is very good. And if God in his perfection and his limitless uh, power can say that about his own work, I I usually um, don't feel that way about my own work. I can always see an imperfection. Uh, And uh, there's a point where you get satisfied with your work and say, job well done, move on to the next job. Uh, But for God to say that, you know, I say it with my limited awareness of where I didn't quite make something straight or I didn't quite cut something the way I wanted to cut it or I didn't do something the way that I knew could have been better. And uh, I'm satisfied because I think the customer probably won't notice and probably won't care. All right. Uh, but me and my limited understanding of perfection often see my own imperfections. I can't say that my work is excellent, is good, is perfect. But God, in his perfection, he said that about his own work. God is good. He makes no mistakes. For more of our text, let's go to Jesus. I think for something to be uh, truly foundational, we need to find it rooted in the Old Testament and particularly in the book of Genesis and at creation, ultimately, is the best, and also find it in Jesus' teachings and in the epistles. So in Jesus' teachings, in fact, what we often point to as kind of the ultimate, maybe summary of his teachings, um, his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, we have uh, this same theme coming up. In fact, it's coming up in the prayer that he teaches we call it the lord's prayer it's a prayer that he taught us to pray maybe it's a format that he taught us to pray matthew chapter 6 and it comes up as the first thing in his prayer that he taught so here we could say it's a foundation again matthew 6 verse 9 after this matter therefore pray ye our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name Worship, ascribing to God his worth, worship, the ultimate of this cycle, hallowed be thy name. Jesus showed his disciples in this prayer that your starting point For everything you're going to ask, um, for physically or spiritually, things that come up here in this prayer, um, surrender to him and to his kingdom in verse 10. Forgiveness. Your foundation is that worship. 
that pure expression of gratitude based on your faith in God's goodness. God is good. <clears throat> Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> we think of Ephesians as, or particularly chapter 5, as uh, probably first thing that comes to our mind is marriage, Christ and the church, this relationship, this intimacy. But this is set, this, these beautiful, beautiful, high, lofty things that, uh, that, we, that we find in the last half of the chapter, this is set in the context of dealing with some ugly, wrong, immoral, wicked stuff. I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. You... As God's people, as God's saints, may these things, fornication, all uncleanness, and covetousness, these three things, may they not be once happen among you. And then he expounds on a bit more in verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, or we could say in, in modern English, not suitable. They don't fit here. But rather, giving of thanks. Well, there's that little phrase again, a bit like Romans 1. It feels like it's a bit out of place. Wait here. <clears throat> but rather, giving of thanks. He is giving us the handle to deal with sin. With the filthiness. With the immorality. With the materialism. He's giving us the handle to deal with the sin. Giving of thanks. In a sense, you could distill these sins, perhaps any sin, down to simple, simply the lack of giving of thanks. This is Paul now. So we have creation. We have Jesus. We have Paul. From the beginning... Up into the New Testament dispensation. First instance there is, is the foundation, the creation, the Old Testament. The second is the transition where Jesus is teaching about and in the point of ushering in, bringing in the new, the kingdom of God, the New Testament. And then here we have Paul in the church age, um, coming back to that. Um, the first in Genesis is God. Uh, speaking about his creation or to his creation. And the second instance here, Jesus is teaching us as his creation how to respond back to God. And Paul, both in Romans and also here in Ephesians, is teaching us about how to receive 
about how to receive. <clears throat> Paul deals a lot with sin. He deals about deals with justification. Uh, he deals with uh, faith and works and uh, how we must have faith in God throughout the epistles. And he points numerous times to this thing of thanksgiving. Let's go to First Timothy. Both in Romans and here in Ephesians, he points to thanksgiving as the antidote to any kind of uncleanness or immorality in our lives. And in First Timothy, we find the same happening with materialism. First Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to start in verse 1. He's warning here. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days, latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Extreme stuff here. Deception, wrong doctrine, warning about uh, things that will come. Speaking lies in hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. Of them which believe and know the truth. You and I who believe know the goodness of God, know the truth, we are to receive with thanksgiving. The New Testament age, we receive with thanksgiving. And that's, sorry. Verse 4. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. So he's talking about... Um, Marriage, receiving God's plan in all its beauty and its purity. God's plan for marriage in verse 3. Receive it with thanksgiving. Uh, and then he's talking about meats, food. For every creature of God, he's replying, he's, he's um, responding to these deceptions that come in, forbidding these things. All right? So asceticism. If you just do something that's difficult, there is spiritual merit in that of itself. That's asceticism. He's dealing with that. And let's think about that. That is denying the, the receiving of the goodness of God. That is, that is a, a false doctrine at its base level. Asceticism. As good and spiritual and, you know, monkish and, and, and some of these things, even, even right motives that some of these people have had throughout the ages. But that kind of thing is denying something that's very, very foundational. <clears throat> What's the opposite of that? Receive, receive, receive God's gifts, receive the blessings of the relationships, receive the food, and we could, with that we could put everything else. We can say, you know, receive the house, receive the clothes, receive the things of this life that we need to live, and just receiving them without the thanksgiving. Can you 
everything that you've received today, last week, last month, last year, have you received those things, use them, whatever way you decided to use them, flowing through your hands to do God's work or meet the needs of your family, whatever it is, have you received them with thanksgiving? If you've used them wrongly, if you use them selfishly, if you've used them wantonly, using a Bible term, then it was not received with thanksgiving. <clears throat> so there we have a definition for materialism. So we're talking about a handle, something you can get your hands on, something that you can uh, uh, get practical about. Take that thing. Instead of taking it for granted, instead of letting it just hardly pass over your consciousness, stop and pray. Gather the children around and say, thank you, God. Do you know why I, I'm guessing you as fellow human beings find it similar, do you know why I often miss stopping and considering and giving thanks for something I've received? Because I'm thinking about what more I could receive. The next thing I'm going to pursue. How little it is compared to my neighbor. Right? It's materialism. It's materialism. That's Romans 1. Neither were thankful. You know, I think when we get to heaven someday, these things that are in Scripture, sometimes a bit obscure to really comprehend, sin is going to be put in its right place. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to, the labels are going to be moved around. A lot of things that we view in the way we live that feel normal, and feel like little things, oh, wait, I slipped a little bit there. Maybe they kind of cross our conscience. That wasn't quite right. Some of those little things or things we hardly even notice in our lives will be big things on Judgment Day. And some of those big things that really are obvious to the people around us, we're really careful about that we get it right, with some good motives and some maybe not, they can be turned on their head. And maybe those won't be. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, sin is sin. Sin is sin. I'm not trying to say that there's... Little sins and big sins. But the way they affect us and our lives and our hearts, <clears throat> I believe that this thing of thankfulness is something we often miss. It's easy for me to miss. Something hit in my heart. I'm not wearing it on my, bat, on my sleeve when I come into church here on Sunday morning. <clears throat> Thankfulness. Could we say that materialism maybe could be defined as a lack of gratefulness for the material things that I have? In simple terms, we could say materialism is the opposite of contentment. We're going to try to talk about materialism in our brother's meeting, which I don't know if we ever have. I've heard of churches who've not only talked about it, but made prominent church standards based on them. <clears throat> um, brother John 
D. Martin, we had him here the other week. Uh, they would have done some of that in their congregation. Um, we would probably talk about um, dollar figures and late model cars and luxury items and on goes the list. And yet we hesitate to do that because we have, with a little bit of perception, you can see there's a lot of disparity in this world. There's a lot of different applications and lifestyles. And there's different contexts where certain things are necessary, other things aren't, and depending on your generation you live in and the lifestyle in the country you live in. And uh, it can be very abstract, it can be very complex to nail it down to that. And there are people who who are so focused on serving God and his kingdom, yet they're managing huge amounts of money and maybe even living with some lifestyle things that someone else couldn't. And and um, when it comes down to it, there's a heart issue. There's a connection. There's a correlation. Sometimes it's pretty obvious by things we choose <clears throat> one way or the other as to where our hearts are. But I believe in God's definitions, it comes down to thankfulness. Do you believe in the goodness of God? Are you receiving with thanksgiving or not? Let's talk about, let's go back and talk a little bit more about the um, immorality one. Let's go to Ephesians. Again. Ephesians 5. So... The best antidote for dealing with corruption, immorality, uh, impurity is to focus on God's beautiful plan. And that's what he does here. Um, Beautiful, highly spiritual connections between marriage and how it shows Christ in the church and that relationship, that intimacy. The ultimate is um, a beautiful thing. The ultimate is intimacy, is fellowship, is giving. Right? That's what makes a beautiful marriage. Someone, two people, to each other, mutually giving of themselves, selflessly thinking of the other thinking of how to bless, how to help, how to strengthen, how to complement the other, thinking of how to serve one another. This is rooted in goodness. This is rooted in goodness. God's beautiful plan. To forfeit that, allow selfishness, a short circuit of that to come into your life and look for any of your own gratification outside of God's beautiful plan is simply not recognizing, not receiving, not accepting God's beautiful plan. It's a failure to do this.
Think of it this way. If there's any corruption that comes into a marriage, if a man is unfaithful to his wife in any way, allows impurity, he is not receiving with thanksgiving his wife. Amen? Vice versa. If a woman is allowing her romantic thoughts, her ideas, her romance novels, dreaming of the way it could be. I've seen this done even by, by uh, wives uh, immersing themselves in marriage books. Dreaming about how it could be. Even good Bible teaching. If it's not done together, if it's not done in a balanced way, it could simply be a form of escape instead of receiving with thanksgiving what you have. And building there, contributing on that level. Thanksgiving. Receiving what you have. So it's easier to see when you put it into an existing and ongoing marriage relationship. But for someone who's single, all the same dynamics apply. If you do something that is not hurting a particular person as your marriage partner, not hurting a particular name, a particular face, because you don't know who that marriage partner is at this point, you are still damaging that future marriage. You are still refusing to see God's and and to work within the the, the parameters of God's beautiful plan. You're not recognizing it for what it is. You're not accepting it for what it is, applying it to your life according to God's plan. Receive with thanksgiving. That is the antidote. If we can do that fully, it will take all the poison out of a temptation. Perhaps we could say the opposite of thanksgiving is lust. Whether lust in sexuality, whether lust in, for material goods, whether lust for power, whether lust for fame, whether lust for any of these things that militate against the spirit, that's the opposite of thanksgiving. It's lust. Remember how I said that when I miss it and I don't receive something with thanksgiving and really stop and think and give the praise to God that he deserves for any thing that comes into my life, uh, big or small, it's a... Uh, often because I'm thinking about how it could have been more, or it could have been sooner, or it could have been better. It's lust. Giving thanks. That's your handle. Give thanks for what you have. Give thanks for what will be. Give thanks for what exists in God's plan. Give thanks for God's principles. Give thanks for who He is. You might feel like right now it's dark. It's difficult. So God is peace. Right now I'm feeling turmoil in my soul. And I can't give thanks for that peace. I'm not feeling it. Give thanks for who God is. God is peace. You might think, God, I'm experiencing a backlash. I'm experiencing hatred coming from the individual. This is not God. God is love. 
God's allowing this hatred to come in your direction. God's allowing this bitterness, this difficulty, this difficult relationship. He's allowing those things. But that's not who God is. You can always find a place to give thanks. In fact, I have seen it where someone, because of the pure pain of a difficult situation they're facing, they can worship on the basis of, God, I'm so glad this is not who you are. This is not who you are. Thank you. And that takes sometimes an eternal perspective to be able to look beyond the here and now. Yes, even be able to look, this will pass maybe in a year, maybe in 10 years. But if nothing else, look beyond this life and look into the eternal. That takes faith, does it not? You can see the goodness of God. You can believe in what God says in his word. God's promises. Who God is and the realities of eternity. And we can give thanks. So back to the, this problem now that is kind of staring us in the face. How can anyone say God is good? Particularly this little book deals with it. A little story of someone who was facing difficulties in his life. As a result of sin, it was obvious. And he was wrestling with how could God be good? How can someone be so simple-minded as to think that God is good? And he basically you know, calls himself an atheist. And God brings his life to cross paths with a man who is godly, who loves God, and, and starts to find little ways to speak into his life about who God is and, and deals with the backlash of all this bitterness of this man that how can you be so stupid as to think God is good? Either God is, God is a, a, a wicked uh, um, uh, animal, if he has all power, that he would allow even the evil to go on in this world, or he's a powerless good being. Can't have it both ways. If God is really good, then he would do something about all this evil. This is the quandary that often comes up in atheism, perhaps is often the seed of atheism, why someone ends up there. <clears throat> So let's talk about that just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> found it quite interesting, pondering these different things. is just uh, about to uh, drift off to sleep last night, and, and my wife started telling me about a little experience she had yesterday. Um, we stopped at a garage sale, and um, <clears throat> my wife got into a conversation with a man uh, who was selling things there at the garage sale. He was being a bit surly, maybe would be the word, and uh, trying to explain something to one of our boys, and and uh, I'm not sure she didn't tell me exactly what words she used, but she started trying to get a word in there for God and mention God or something, and this this man explodes in her face, literally gets right up close to her face and starts pouring out his bitterness and his hatred for someone to dare say that God. So much as it exists, somehow he's still claiming to be a Catholic and an atheist. I'm not sure if that could go together, but I guess he thought it could. But, um, you know, when I am buried, I'm going to go six feet under the ground. That's where I'm going to stay, and that's it. And uh, when I was 18, my, uh, I went to my Catholic parents, and I said, this is it. This doesn't make any sense. God cannot be good. Why do we see all this wickedness and horrible stuff in the world? So guess what? This evil that he hate, hated so much, so much then and up to today, this evil that he hates and that he's resenting, he's buried in it. Right? That's how it works. 
Well, this second man that um, begins to share the gospel in this little book, turns out that more than just not having money to pay the rent and uh, a heartbreak from a girlfriend that left him, like the first man had, the second man has real life issues, uh, bigger life issues. He has a wife that he's been married to for many years, and she's dying of cancer. And still in his little store there, he has up on the sign, a little sign on the wall, God is good. And he believes it. He lives it out. And he experiences it. Doesn't make sense. Why would such a, a beautiful, godly man, uh, um, generous man, kind man, uh, experience such calamity? Whereas this evil, wicked man experiencing a couple of little heartbreaks <clears throat> feels it's enough to say God is not good. And how can you say that? And I have reason to call myself an atheist. More disappointments and difficulties because of his own doing. Whereas the second man, it was unexplainable. To have his wife on the deathbed with cancer. When he had served God for many, many years. And yet, this first man was brought to faith in Christ because of the example of not only one other, but a whole community of believers who were ministering, sharing God's love, accepting the evil in this world, accepting death, accepting sickness, pain, suffering, and yet seeing it as God's goodness. Did I say that? Yeah, they saw it as God's goodness to the point, if I, don't, if I remember correctly, his wife was glad to suffer and to die if in some way that was, some of the fruit could be this other man comes to faith in Christ as a result. So she was grateful. Not because it felt bad to suffer, but she was grateful for these, the events that meant suffering for her because of the salvation of another. <clears throat> See, that takes an eternal perspective, does it not? <clears throat> it takes an eternal perspective. God is good. Another thing <clears throat> I think that we can just take a few moments to think about here is the goodness of God. In the midst of evil, or maybe we can turn it around, evil, pain, suffering, war, death, these things. In the midst of the reality of God's goodness, not only is possible, but in a sense, could we say necessary. These evil things, in a sense, provide an environment for perpetuating the goodness of God. <clears throat> if you would go to... Um, 1 Peter 1.12, there's a little verse there, I think maybe I'll just read it quickly, 1 Peter 1.12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you. 
with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Let's talk about the Christian experience. Uh, salvation. Verse 10 talks about even the, the prophets were looking forward and trying to understand this thing. They were inquiring about it. This, this mystery of salvation. You know, I believe that the angels around the throne do actually give praise and glory to God. They have some value there. But I don't believe that it's going to compare with the value and the capacity that you and I will have to ascribe glory and worship and praise to God around the throne for eternity based on the fact of the backdrop that we have been saved. The angels, I don't know what all this is saying. I don't claim to completely understand this verse, but perhaps it's simply talking about they can't quite comprehend this thing of salvation. They haven't experienced it. They haven't experienced the depravity of the earth and the lostness of mankind and evil and sin. They haven't experienced the overwhelming sense of freedom to be saved from sin. So how can they give worship in the same way that you and I can? Now, we have trials. We have battles. We have temptations here on this earth. But in a sense, based on the faith that we know by God's power, we will be overcomers. Can we give thanks for the sin, the temptations, the battles here on this earth, knowing that it can be a backdrop, a setting through which to give God honor and glory in a way that we never could have otherwise? Opening up our capacity. Now, how much does light mean if there never was any darkness? We're trying to give some meaning to the, the difficult things. You know, Brother Eldon, I thought about, yes, this light, we don't think about it. It's just here. We would think about it if it wasn't here, right? But have you ever been in a tunnel? It's dark. We don't know that here. The turnpike, it has lights in there. <clears throat> Tanzania, we take the train sometimes, we go through tunnels that are dark. And you get to a certain curve in the tunnel and you can see a beam of light out there. That light means something that this light does not mean. Right? Think of a dark, dark night. Think of the sailor out at sea and he's trying to avoid those rocky shores and the beam of light. That light has a meaning that this light does not have because of its context, because of the dark. There is a surge of joy, of gladness, of anticipation that you and I just aren't feeling right now here in, here in this room. And we have a whole lot more light. It's not necessarily the amount of light, is it? But it's the context. And so how much does victory mean? Have you ever worshipped God because he's given you victory in a particular area in your life? What would that victory mean if there was never a battle? If there was never the pain and regret of defeat? What would grace mean if you wouldn't be setting it against the difficulty and the, the ruinness of your sinful life? What would God's grace in your life mean without that capacity? In a sense, to say that if for God to be good, he would have to annihilate 
all sin and wickedness and evil, then basically we are deleting the meaning of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4 for a moment, where Jesus said these words about what he came for. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, poverty should be eliminated, right? God can't be good if he doesn't eliminate poverty. Well, what would deliverance mean from poverty, whether it's spiritual, physical poverty? What would deliverance mean without the existence of that poverty, without the possibility of that poverty? He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Without the pain and the disappointment of brokenheartedness, what would that healing mean? Whether it's emotional, whether it's physical healing. You couldn't give praise to God for saving you from that accident or giving you healing and recovery from that accident if it wasn't from, for the possibility of it to begin with. To preach deliverance to the captives, freedom from sin, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The feeling of freedom would lose its meaning if there is no possibility of bondage. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So, set now light, whether spiritual, physical. Set light against darkness. Set victory against defeat. Now, defeat has its meaning. We can be thankful for it. Not, maybe not that we want it, we pursue it. But we can be thankful that God gives us that greater capacity. Set the salvation against destruction. Set the fulfillment against desire. The peace against conflict. The healing against suffering. The result is a deep peace. A composure. A trust in the sovereignty of God. A fortitude, emotional spiritual fortitude that comes with accepting and realizing and experiencing both. There's a word for this I just came across this last couple weeks, last week. It's equanimity. It's pursued in almost all the world's made religions. Equa for equal or equalness would be the root Nimity for um, mindedness, even mindedness, composure. I think it's a lot of what their Germans are talking about when they talk about Gelassenheit. A deep, settled, fulfilling, confident composure. That kind of peace. That will be granted to you if you make use of this handle of thankfulness. May God bless.